Are you getting pressure from finance to justify or reduce your cloud bill? CloudZero is the only cloud cost platform loved by engineers and trusted by finance. CloudZero can identify unused, idle, or over-provisioned resources, alert you to spend anomalies, and organize 100% of your spend into a framework that mirrors your business structure, like cost per customer, product feature, or team. It's the most powerful platform ever built to provide accurate, granular visibility into your total cloud spend without the typical pitfalls of legacy cloud cost management tools like endless tagging or clunky Kubernetes support. Manage cost, optimize development, and maximize profit all in one platform. Join companies like Rapid7, Drift, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com slash cloudcast to get started. That's cloudzero.com slash cloudcast. Visit today to experience immediate and ongoing savings on your cloud bill. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to The Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well. We are getting into the sort of mid-late part of February, almost two months down, and uh Hope again, uh, another Sunday Perspective show. Excited to kind of dive into another sort of interesting topic that I've been thinking about a little bit and starting to see uh, some interesting buzz about over the last yeah, few weeks, maybe a few months and so forth. Um, you know, and, and I feel like with this topic, this is another one of these ones that I have to imagine there's a certain amount of folks that listen that are going, boy, I'm, I'm getting a little bit tired of you guys talking about sort of the down economy and what's going on when things are sort of bad with the economy. Can you guys just get back to talking about technology. Let's talk about startups. Let's talk about what's new. Let's talk about implementation deals and all those sort of things. And, and, you know, trust me, we would, we would love to dive into those things. Um, but I think, you know, we're, we're at a stage, uh, and, and I think most people are, are probably running into this where, um, you know, you're, you're having to think about the economy and you're having to think about, you know, what sort of some of the, the, the shifts in the economy, whether they're psychological, whether they're, you know, actual in terms of how they impact budgets in terms of, uh, you know, how you're prioritizing projects, how, what you're doing in terms of, of spending or not spending or, you know, rethinking some things. Um, you know, and I think we have to be sort of realistic about this. You know, we've always said that it's, it's really important to understand, you know, in our industry, uh, how you follow the money. Um, and the reason we do that is not just because, um, you know, we, we feel like talking about the economy or the economics of the industry, I mean, they're incredibly important. Um, but I think it's important to sort of, you know, be paying attention to what's going on with trends, because there's certain things that happen with trends in which, um, you know, we do get a lot of follow the leader in our industry. We do get a lot of, um, hey, if you if you didn't create something, you sort of, you know, jump on a bandwagon or become the other side of a bandwagon, um, you know, and, and, and that happens quite a bit in our industry. And I think we're starting to see um, sort of an interesting flip I've seen over the last couple of months. And that is we're starting to see a lot of sort of anti-cloud native, a lot of anti-cloud, a lot of anti uh, Kubernetes, a lot of anti, you know, developer relations and a number of things that, you know, have been kind of viewed in a very positive light for the last number of years. Uh, and, and we're now because, you know, things are starting to flip and starting to tilt and starting to, you know, kind of move in slightly different directions. Um, you know, a lot of people are starting to question whether or not those are still good things, right? So, you know, what I kind of want to dive into today is sort of these four things that we've been seeing, um, you know, a number of opinion pieces and articles being written, um, sometimes numbers back, sometimes just opinion based, but really kind of a couple of things. Uh, you know, the first is, you know, is the public cloud still economically viable for, uh, you know, for IT, for mainstream IT? 
Second one is, you know, our distributed systems and, and sort of distributed applications. Are they practical? Um, you know, did we uh, give up too much in terms of trying to, you know, allow agility and, and flexibility for developers? You know, should we be reining that back in a little bit? Third is, um, you know, is, is Kubernetes too difficult to use? Is Kubernetes a mistake? Is Kubernetes, uh, you know, just, you know, been six, seven years of hype that we are going to end up unwinding and unraveling uh, sooner than later? And the last one is, um, is around, you know, is, is developer relations, uh, dev rel, if you will, is that still something that uh, people are interested in? Is it something that companies will invest in? Is it still a viable career path and all those sort of things? So it's been interesting. I've seen uh, a number of articles I pointed to, you know, a couple of Twitter threads, a couple of articles have been written uh, lately about this. Um, and I'm going to kind of dive into, try to dive into most of those topics and kind of why we're seeing this, not maybe whether or not they're right or wrong, but why we're seeing uh, this sort of sudden flip, um, you know, after the break. We all know that running global scale multi-cloud applications is difficult and expensive, but being locked into a single cloud provider sucks. That's why our friends at Section created the platform for easy and cost-effective multi-cloud operations. Section actually makes it easier to operate multi-cloud than on your current single cloud. Applications run in the best locations for end-user performance, reliability, and security, and you get to focus on building your apps, not your infrastructure. Visit section.io slash cloudcast to sign up for free with no credit card required. You can be running in under a minute. That's section.io slash cloudcast. It's here, the sixth annual Sysdig Cloud Native Security and Container Usage Report. Get real-world actionable security insights from companies using cloud and containers from industries around the world. For example, did you know that 87% of container images in production include a high or critical vulnerability? That's up from 75% last year. Or do you realize that companies running Kubernetes clusters larger than 1,000 nodes could save over $10 million a year? With deep runtime insights, Sysdig delivers cloud and container security so you can stop attacks without wasting time. You can find all the details by downloading your copy of the report for free at sysdig.com slash usage report. That's sysdig.com slash usage report. And we're back. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to dive into what's starting to feel like a, an undercurrent, uh, a, a messaging um, drumbeat, if you will, kind of you know a new line of thinking, uh, kind of a, a new set of opinions that you know, maybe have been around for a while uh, and sort of got smothered out by, uh, you know, growth in the market or, you know, trends in the market. Um, but now that the market is is starting to slow down a little bit, starting to, you know, shift, you know, the 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 upward curves are starting to bend slightly down in, in different areas and they're slowing, slowing down. You know, we're starting to hear this, this uh, kind of anti uh, drumbeat to a number of things. And it's interesting because, there's there's probably some truth in uh, in some of these things, and again, we put something some links in the show notes, you know. But there's also just sort of a natural trend that happens when things slow down, when things shift. Um, and again, you know, we've been doing a lot of these Sunday perspective shows for folks who who maybe haven't been through some of these downturns, haven't been through certain things. Um, and so I want to kind of want to hit on those things that I talked about at the beginning. You know, is is public cloud still uh, you know economically viable? Are distributed systems still do they still make sense? Uh, does Kubernetes make any sense? Uh, is it, you know, was it a good thing? Has it been a bad experiment? Whatever we want to think about it. And then we'll think a little bit about sort of, you know, this, this concept of developer relations and what does it do and, and does it make sense? And, and, you know, why are, why are we seeing, uh, you know, some people from that industry um, kind of get 
you know, be part of these, these layoffs and some of these other things. So, you know, I think it's important not to just dive into kind of the individual topics and we, we could probably actually do individual shows about a lot of those things. Um, but I think it's often important to, to remember that, that there's a really a difference between kind of early adopter customers and companies um, and you know what happens when new technologies come out and, and new paradigms happen versus you know kind of the the bar that has to get uh, you know the, the hurdle that has to happen, you know, the bar that has to be met when we get into sort of mainstream adoption and oftentimes five years into something, 10 years into something and so on and so forth. So, you know, I I think the thing that we run into, and I'm going to kind of give some, some broad topics about why I think some of these things are happening. The first is that early adopters of any specific technology, any new paradigm shift really oftentimes go in there and they're, they have a very specific problem they're trying to solve, right? Um, You know, this is why, for example, you know, we, we, in the early days of sort of cloud and the days, you know, go back to, you know, 2010 or whatever it is, 2011, 2012, whatever. So many of the examples that were used were for things like, well, this is how Netflix does it. This is how, you know, some cloud native company does it. And a lot of the the sort of pushback was, well, you know, that, that wouldn't, that's not really applicable to my bank. It's not really applicable to, to my insurance company or to my, uh, you know, manufacturing company or whatever it might be. Um, you know, and I, and I think we have a tendency sometimes to, you know, kind of overinflate how much a single technology that made sense for certain sets of use cases can be applicable to everything. Because there really, there have been very few instances in which sort of one thing becomes applicable to kind of everything, right? We, you know, Aaron loves to sort of beat on this drumbeat, which is like, there are a few things that go away in, in IT and technology. They just sort of get added to, new stuff gets added to it. You know, and I, and I think if we, if we think about sort of the, the really mainstream things that have sort of kind of gone everywhere, um, you know, they're, they're kind of few and far between, right? I mean, we've seen uh, just, you know, in, in our, in our last 10 plus years, um, you know, virtualization, uh, you know, was something that could be applied to really broad swaths of technology. Um, but even that, you know, the early parts of virtualization were very, very important for cost savings. And then the later parts of virtualization where you were virtualizing a database that still was mostly just running on one machine or, a you know, an SAP system or something really was more just, oh, okay, well, you know, it might not be the most efficient thing, but it, you know, it does sort of give us consistency, right? You know, we've seen that with like Wi-Fi. Okay, Wi-Fi can be used in all sorts of places. It can be used, you know, in your in your corporate office. It can be in an airplane. It can be uh, at your house. And, you know, it works pretty much. But now, obviously, we're seeing it come back to being problematic. You know, oh, it's, it makes it sometimes difficult to stream 4K in your house or do gaming or, you know, what happens when you have 200 people in a conference room? It kind of falls down. And, you know, so we have this tendency to go, okay, new technology, uh, find some early use cases that are uh, very viable. Uh, they address legitimate concerns. They have economic viability, whether it's, you know, in growing the top line for the business, in helping in profitability, sort of the bottom line of the business, whether it reduces risk, whatever those things are. Um, and then we have a tendency to sort of go, oh, well, could that take over the world? Could that take on everything? And, you know, we've seen, you know, some instances of this where uh, it became kind of viable or it became very uh, obvious fairly quickly, something like serverless technology in which, um, wow, really cool. You know, it's going to be completely, you know, you only pay for what you use and it can be used for a number of things, but it really hasn't taken off for, oh, it can be used for everything, right? Could it be? Yeah, if you bend it and twist it and make it do certain things, but 
you know, it's a perfect example of like great for certain things, not great for other things. Um, but the question came up quite a bit of like, well, why isn't it being used for everything? Now, Kubernetes is going through that right now. Um, even the public cloud is sort of going through that right now. Like, can it be used for everything? Um, I think the second thing is we we often find that sort of what our near-term goals are and what our long-term goals are oftentimes aren't the same thing. And and this, to a lot of folks, is going to seem really obvious, but, um, you know, oftentimes we we create some near-term goals, but over the long run, that might not be exactly what we want, right? We may have a situation in the near-term in which we need to change what we're doing. It's just not sustainable. But maybe that pace of change that we had to create, the amount of hours that we had to put in uh, to get the people to do the work or the level of of engineer that we needed uh, was great for the near term. But for the long term, you know, it's not sustainable. I can't afford, uh, you know, million dollar engineers, uh, you know, in the Midwest, the United States or in Eastern Europe or something. But maybe we needed some sort of high end to sort of get us over the hump. Um, you know, and, and we do run into those sort of things as well. Those things happen. You know, the third thing on my list was, you know, the ROI of technology doesn't always happen immediately, right? It's not always obvious uh, what exactly we're going to get from a from a you know pure financial benefit out of certain technologies. But sometimes it's very obvious that you know we have to fix or we have to try and improve something, and and we're actually able to do that fairly quickly with certain technology. And we're able to make developers more productive uh, because of containers. Oh, we, we don't have as many, uh, you know, misaligned dependencies. You know, we, we sort of know that something can get through a pipeline consistently, but, you know, in the long run, is that going to, you know, give us 30% better developer efficiency? I don't know, right? It might, but it may only really apply to a third of the applications of the portfolio. It may only apply to, you know, certain types of things. Maybe it really uh, you know, helps the CI, CD, and QA team the most. It doesn't help developers. And, you know, so those things sort of have to get worked out. Um, you know, in the past when things weren't changing as much or we didn't have as many, you know, technologies that we we're kind of sorting through, maybe we could we could sit down and do the math ahead of time and work that out. You know, I have a harder time doing that these days. You know, I think the other thing um, that's very real was, and we've seen this, is, is resume-driven development is a real thing in good times. You know, we see centers of excellence at organizations. We see people who, you know, stick around, take on a new project so that they can get that technology in their resume and they're gone a year later. And we see people bouncing from company to company or technology to technology. Um, you know, that's a real thing in in good times or sort of economically up times, but that doesn't really fly in, you know, difficult times or economically slower times and so forth. You know, and the last couple of things is, you know, the economic downturns very much shine a light on both practicality, you know, does this make sense, um, and profitability, right? It's, you know, the projects that maybe we could get away with because it was like, well, you don't quite understand why this is good. I don't necessarily, you know, I, I'm not going to explain it to you. If you don't get it, I don't have to explain it to you. But, you know, we need to be investing in this space because look at what our competitors are doing. Look at what everybody else in the industry is doing. Look, the media is writing about all this stuff. So we do see a certain amount of that happen. And the last thing, um, you know, and, and folks don't love this, uh, you know, because it typically, you know, sort of pits people against dollars, people against capitalism is that, you know, greed is very much a factor in good times. You know, we see VCs investing a lot of money in things that may or may not necessarily be the most economically viable, but they don't want to miss out on the next big thing. But it's also a factor in bad times, right? I know I just saw a write-up of somebody who, uh, you know, had looked at the some of the layoffs that were announced at DigitalOcean, 
and basically said, well, you know, it would have been fine if they had just said, hey, the economics aren't working out for the business and we have to lay some people off. But at the same time, they, you know, they, uh, you know, they, they decided to buy back a whole bunch of shares to boost their uh, boost their share price somewhat artificially. And so, you know, that money could have been used to keep those people around. Well, you know, the the purpose of any public company is to, you know, drive returns for the shareholders. And sometimes people get sort of lost in that. So, you know, there's a lot of things that, that go on that are different between in good times and in bad times. Now, let's talk a little bit about why we're seeing some of these articles written all of a sudden about uh, these various things. You know, the first one I think we're seeing is, you know, the, the you know, is the public cloud uh, economically viable anymore, right? We're seeing so many articles written about um, not so much repatriation. I think we, we went through that a little bit last year, the year before, you know, is there a lot of that? But, you know, should we accelerate those projects that move to the cloud? Um, you know, why are we seeing so many companies that are, um, you know, in the business of, of doing cost savings and cost, you know, cost optimization and so forth. Obviously, those businesses don't start if there's not, um, you know, sort of a push from customers saying like, gosh, I feel like I'm spending too much money. And I think the other side of it is, and, and Aaron and I have talked about this for a long time, we no longer hear about price cuts, right? So for anybody who's been around for a long time, if you go back to the original couple of, of AWS reInvent, for example, uh, keynotes, you know, how much price cuts were happening every year uh, on compute and storage was a regular thing. Oh, this is our 47th price cut. This is our 67th price cut. You no longer hear that anymore, right? The, the cloud is no longer uh, even marketing themselves as being economically more viable than it. It's simply going, we do all the technology stuff. And so I think there's a lot of companies who are getting their bill. They're realizing the complexity of their bill. They're realizing that, you know, um, you know, buying things as OPEX versus CAPEX and having depreciation associated with them or, you know, how many projects really need all of the scale of the cloud is making them, them question that. And so, you know, it's a, it's a viable thing. Um, you know, we haven't necessarily seen uh, price cuts be a differentiator between the cloud providers. They've all sort of said, hey, we're going we're gonna to stay in lockstep with each other. Uh, we're not going to get into a, a, a pricing war. Um, you know, so there, there's, there's some realities to that. Now, whether or not, um, you know, a, a decade of having done stuff in the cloud can be undone, uh, you know, the, the mechanisms, the muscle, the, the tooling, the DNA that's now around, hey, I can just go to the cloud and spin stuff up and start working on things. And, um, you know, do I really want to operate a database? Do I really want to operate a Kubernetes cluster? Do I really want to operate infrastructure? You know, we're a decade into people going, yeah, maybe I don't. Maybe that's not uh, what we want to do. Maybe that's below the value line. It's undifferentiated heavy lifting, all the buzzwords that we've heard about it. Um, you know, so it's going to be very interesting to see how much the the economic shift in this, um, you know, and, and people doing viability studies, uh, you know, start to shift some of that away from, hey, put as much as you can in the public cloud to, boy, we got to be much more conscious about that. You know, the second one I think we're, we're seeing is, you know, people starting to say, hey, how practical is it to do, um, you know, distributed applications? And, you know, this is really kind of one of those ones that, you know, you're going to see some broad brushstrokes, you're going to see some case studies. Um, but, you know, I think this is one probably more than anything that is really use case by use case dependent, uh, company by company, group by group dependent. Um, you know, there are plenty of organizations that have figured out how to do this. Now, 
Does it involve more moving pieces? Does it involve, um, you know, a little more coordination? Does it involve, you know, kind of doing some reorganization and some some rethinking about how stuff does? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, building stuff as a distributed thing where you've got more moving pieces, you've got more things that have to be coordinated, more, you know, collaboration that has to happen, more communication that goes on over the network, all those sort of things that are different than a monolithic application, um, they can be more difficult. But at the same time, um, if the case works out for it, the use case works out, the business case works out, you know, the agility that you can get from the systems, the ability to decouple certain things from other things, um, you know, may be absolutely necessary for the business. And so, you know, this is one that we are going to see people question because, um, you know, you can build business cases that sort of, you know, connect the dots and go, oh, do I need all these, you know, are the engineers too expensive or the systems too complicated to troubleshoot is, you know, why are we spending so much on observability and logs and all that kind of stuff? Uh, but this is one that, you know, of all the things in the list, um, you know, is probably going to be the most kind of use case by use case basis. The third one I had on the list, are we going to go back and, and look at Kubernetes and regret Kubernetes or is it too complicated? Um, did it make infrastructure too complicated? Has it not uh, done anything to help developers? And I, I pointed to a couple of, of interesting kind of threads and and articles that were written. One was written by Michael Cote, who, you know, friend of the show from from over on Software to Time Talk and, and sort of all around the internet, um, you know, talking about Kubernetes has been a seven-year distraction. It really hasn't helped developers. And there's some viability to that, right? Like if you're a developer, whether you used to have to do a bunch of stuff yourself to get an application into production, whether you you know played around with past systems and you thought, oh, these are awesome, um, or you're now dealing with Kubernetes and you feel like you're sort of stuck somewhere in between, yeah, you may you know kind of look at your world and say, boy, I just wanted to deploy a Java application with the load balancer in front of it um, and attach it to some storage or some data, yeah, you may look at this and feel like, boy, it was a big distraction. Um, you know, there's also some arguments now being made that Kubernetes has made the infrastructure too complicated, whether it's storage or networking or, you know, load balancing. How do we do troubleshooting? Again, I think that goes back to, um, you know, distributed systems um, are inherently going to be more complicated. There's more moving parts. Um, so if you're looking at it purely as a, you know, hey, should we have used this to replace a bunch of, you know, fairly static VMs? Yeah, it probably is going to look somewhat more complicated. Um, but if you're comparing it to, you know, an environment in which you couldn't do deployments fast enough, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't scale things up and down because you couldn't build automation around it, you know, then it's again, an apples to apples comparison. Um, but, you know, again, now that the economy is a little softer, um, you know, we, you know, the hype around certain things isn't as big as it was before. We don't see as much, you know, VC funding day in and day out. We're going to start to see some questions raised about these types of things. And, um, you know, there are going to be plenty of examples where somebody says, hey, we tried to do Kubernetes and, uh, you know, we found we were only getting 20 or 30 percent, you know, efficiency of our compute. So therefore, boy, it was a complete waste of time. OK, sure. Right. Um, you know, if you're not using the technologies uh as efficiently as you possibly can, yeah, they may have additional overheads that weren't the most efficient thing in the world. Um, so I think we're going to start to see some more of those articles. And again, I'm not trying to sort of pass judgment on whether they're true or not true. I think you have to sort of look at them on a case by case basis. Um, but, you know, it, it, again, another one that sort of falls into that category of, hey, you know, is this still what we want to be doing? Is this, you know, we're, we're five, six, seven years into this. Is this the direction we want to be going? Um, and the last one I'm starting to see a little bit of, of uh, uptick in terms of conversation around and buzz around and so forth is, um, you know, folks from the DevRel community, uh, you know, I've seen some colleagues um, and seen some companies 
uh, decide to to sort of disinvest in in that role, or you know, some of those people have, have been laid off and so forth. Um, you know, and so they're starting to go, oh well, boy, everybody talked about developers are the new kingmakers, and many companies thought, well, you know, DevRel was going to be our way of of speaking to developers if we want to be part of the. And I think the reality is, and I've talked about this on on past shows and so forth. You know, DevRel is is one of those things that uh, you know tends to be invested in when things are good and um you know you you have the ability to um you know afford that sort of role where you're out you know engaging with the market that's not necessarily a marketing or sales role right um but when times are tougher and people look at the cost of their go to market overall um and all the different ways that they can you know create awareness of the market influence the market educate the market and all those other things you know devrel becomes a less scalable you know, more human, less digital kind of way of doing that. Um, and, you know, again, you know, part of the knock on DevRel has always been their insistence that they are not marketing. They're not part of marketing. They're something else. You don't really understand it. Well, at some point, if you can't explain what it is and you tell people they don't understand it, it becomes a very easy thing for them to go, well, if I don't understand it, but I'm still spending money on it, um, it becomes easier and easier to sort of go, well, maybe I don't need it because if I don't understand it and you can't explain to me what it is um, or we're not seeing return on it, we can't put metrics around it. So again, not a knock on DevRel as a whole, but I think you know any sort of role in which you know people kind of go, well, it's needed, but I can't necessarily explain it or we're not like the other traditional functions you have, which have their own metrics, their own KPIs, their own measurements, their own return, uh, you know, criteria they have, uh, you do, it does become sort of a vulnerable type of thing. And and when things are tight and you're looking to cut back some things, um, you know, those are areas, regardless if it's tied to DevRel or whether it's tied to spending on some application, SaaS application that maybe you don't need, or is sort of a luxury, um, you know, I think it sort of falls into that category. So, Again, it's going to be on a case by case basis where it makes the most sense, where you know that type of role fits for the technology that you sell, the market that you're involved with, and so forth. So, you know, I don't think I don't think any of these things are sort of binary, uh, black and white. You know, yes, we need it. No, we don't need it. Yes, this is good. No, it's bad. Um, yes, this is the future. No, it's you know the the end is coming in a year or whatever it is. I don't think any of them are in that that sort of category. But I do think, you know, we are going to see more and more conversations about it. And, you know, sometimes it's it's a good thing. I think when the economy gets a little tighter, um, we do see much more clear-eyed, uh, you know, clear uh, rationale applied to things. Much more discipline is applied to things. People are looking for um, less pure growth and they're looking for more, um, you know, profitability. They're looking for more sort of reasoned business uh numbers, the things that you would learn in typical business school, not, oh, you know, our, our thing, which has very low growth is worth 50 X the growth of it, or the 50 X the revenue or hundred X the revenue. You know, we're going to see much more pragmatism come into play. And at any time those things come into play, you know, kind of everything gets questioned. So anyway, I just kind of wanted to talk about the, the rationale behind why we're now seeing, you know, again, sort of a pushback, a blowback, and, and the reality is, um, for some of the people that are pushing on these things, um, you know, in all fairness, if you go back and look at stuff they've written or, you know, kind of comments they've made, this isn't something new for them. They're not sort of jumping on a bandwagon. They've been kind of trying to say these things for a long time. Um, in other cases, um, some of the stuff is, is sort of new to people and, 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 you know, the realities of the economy are are starting to sort of set in for, you know, what, what reality sort of means. So anyways, um, 
just kind of want to hit on that. It was, you know, something I've seen, like I said, a, a spike in over the last month or so of just, you know, kind of the, the anti articles to, um, you know, kind of the growth articles or the, you know, the hype articles of the last five four or five, six years and some of the trends and so forth. And, uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, as we've said in a lot of these shows, how fast the economy, uh, recovers or doesn't recover, but also, you know, how much some of these conversations start to sway people who are influence, you know, our decision makers as to, oh, okay, I need to pay attention to that more than I did a year ago or two years ago. So anyways, that'll wrap it up. Uh, hope everybody's doing well. Another Sunday Perspective show. Um, February has been a very good month for us. Uh, again, apologize as we always do in this time of the year, for both Aaron and I, because the uh, the pollen and the, the uh, the allergy season kicks in. Our voice is always going to be a little more hoarse, a little more gra- a little more you know, kind of gravelly, if you will. And I wish there was more we could do about that. But uh, modern medicine only helps so much with uh, with sneezing and sinuses and stuff. So uh, thanks for bearing up, bearing with a little bit of the graveliness of the audio. So with that, I'll wrap it up. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for helping us grow the show. Thanks for continuing to listen. And uh, with that, we'll wrap it up and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.